0: The CMO Confidential Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions and choices that
1: go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former chief marketing officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com. Here today with my guest, Seth Matlin. Today's topic, is the CMO position the hardest job in business? Now, Seth, we've known each other for a long time. He's a champion of marketing, and his career includes stints as the president of Rock the Vote, CMO of Live Nation, and the founder of CAA Marketing. Currently, he's the managing director of the Forbes CMO Network. He is widely followed and also wrote a book called The Scratch and Stiff Book of Weed. Now
0: Seth recently stated, "New Year, same old." What what, what was it you say you said, Seth? I I said, Mike, for for uh, uh, your listeners who didn't see it, I said, "New Year, same old fuckery surrounding um, the narrative, the surrounding the CMO narrative." Yes. So this right. is going
1: to be a great show. I'm really excited to have Seth on it because you can tell he has a really good point of a really strong point of view. And I've known him, gosh, it's it's over 10 years. So
0: we're gonna have a no holds barred discussion. I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna age you, but uh it's getting very close to 20 years. Beth, you're killing me, man. All right, we're moving on right now. Um,
1: let's start by talking about this post. New Year's same old fuckery. Tell us what you're
0: thinking about and what drove you to make that statement. Well it's it's not it's not a conversation that I don't have on the regular which is to say that it is but I was provoked by a article um in Fortune that said that uh, the headline was um something to the effect of Fortune 500 companies eliminating the CMO uh post um the article then went on to highlight two companies amongst 500 um that had recently eliminated the post um and then actually it highlighted three, and then a few paragraphs later it said, Oh, this one brought it back a year later. Yeah,
1: that was McDonald's. So it was my yes, I think exactly. it was UPS
0: That's and Etsy and then McDonald's at Dump. and it. UPS, exactly. Um, and and it's just it just like um like the previous narrative, the debunked narrative about CMO tenure, um, which lacked uh, uh data, uh, statistical relevance, any scrutiny, any context about why CMOs were leaving jobs, but left you with the perception that CMOs were getting fired over and over and over again, which has since been corrected by the search firms that were putting it out. It's just this industry, this community seems to have um, uh, this kind of self-flagellating desire or desire to um, self-flagellate and just it's so self-defeating and it's not just self-defeating for the CMOs and their marketing organizations. It's self-defeating for the organizations who do and should be relying on the chief marketing officer and her organization to be a principal architect of enterprise growth and strategy. And when we continue to perpetuate that this is a no-wing job now, by the way, there's some truth to the difficulties of the job, which I think we'll get into. We're going to talk about that shortly, yes. We, we we serve nobody well except whoever wrote a piece that's looking for, you know, a couple of uh, page views and or search firms who are looking to um, traditional search firms in particular. Who, who are just looking to fill um, square pegs with square um,
1: square holes. This is a great pegs. opening. And we are going to have Richard Sanderson on the show again to talk about it's the best of times, it's the worst of times for marketing.
0: Well, Richard Richard did correct the record a year later, yeah, right? He did. And they added context and they added they added the why we were seeing this movement. They also
1: stopped just looking at the top 100 or top four, couple Yeah, hundred. that's
0: not representative of anything except themselves. Exactly. Uh, and
1: I was at a, a, a Marketing 50 summit where they came out with that and the first time that said the average tenure is two years, and we were all like, "Wow." Um, anyways, with that with that as background, you have publicly said in your mind the CMO position is the toughest in business. Tell us why you think that.
0: Well, I think I think it absolutely is. Um, And I'll give you a few reasons and they kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a Venn diagram, but I think before answering it, it's also important to recognize there are multiple types of CMOs. Um, and so across those types, some broad generalizations, there are, as I say, a handful of reasons. But amongst them is the fact that most CEOs do not under, who are typically the hiring um, the, the person making the final call, do not understand that there are multiple types of CMOs. And so, so they are, again, square peg square hole when that may not be the right fit. So let me, let me give you a, a few thoughts. Today's CMO has um, the 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 daunting task of being asked to plan for the unknown and react to the unimaginable in real real time. It is trite but nonetheless true to say there has been such a massive explosion, a sheer volume of change, um, uh, uh, in the how and the where we reach people, but also just in the socio-cultural economic context that influences how the people we are marketing to, I don't care if you're B2B, B2C, D2C, or any combination thereof, you're still marketing to people, you're still selling to right. people. Right, how, right, right. What they think about, where their attentions are, what their moods are, what their concerns, fears, anxieties are. It's been an absolute uh, uh, um, assault on people's attentions that makes it harder to influence their intentions. It's harder than ever to separate signal from noise because there's been an explosion of data but not an explosion of relevance, not an explosion of of insight. Um, I'd also argue that from a role perspective, we've seen um, a massive fragmentation and and disaggregation, uh, oftentimes disintermediation of the job. You've got, you know, in the same enterprises, a CMO, a CBO, a chief growth officer, a chief uh, a sales officer, a chief commercial officer. Oh, um, and
1: like, sometimes you move all the digital stuff away from the CMO. Exactly, that, exactly. And so, and so you're, you're not really, like I always wanted the marketer to have all the consumer stuff. I, I didn't even consider it CMO. I consider it I, I I want to be the interface with the marketplace and the customer, but that's that's not the case. But then you have all this data and the function is moved in large part to your point about relevance to optimize the data. Is that true? It's what do you what do you see? Uh, well, I you want to disrupt your your
0: train of thought on on the hardest job. No, I, look, uh, I think the question's a good one, and I I think that the 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 role has always been the optimization of data, right? But I don't think we're doing a particularly good job of it, and I think part of that is because the CEOs and CFOs to whom uh, CMOs often report. Are are they're desperately seeking certainty. They're desperately seeking predictability. When I say desperate, that's, that's no pejorative. Like who doesn't? <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't yeah. want certainty and predictability? And and while these these positions are expert in the black and white of numbers, they're not typically expert in in the fifty shades of gray that color why people buy. Human beings are a fairly idiosyncratic bunch. You heard it here first, and so. You then look at the fact that so few of these C-suite, their C-suite colleagues, come from marketing. I think it's something like ten percent of the Fortune 250, even less as you go further. CEOs have any marketing background whatsoever. Fewer still are CFOs who are coming from marketing-centric background uh, companies, and they don't have marketing backgrounds. So you're forced to um, shape the expectations and understanding of people who do not understand what you do, why you do it, what the payout should be, whether there should be an expectation of immediacy, and that influences their investment decisions. Something like 60, 70% of CMOs don't think they are are given uh, the appropriate investment resources to realize their strategies, the strategies that are agreed to. And you got CEOs and CFOs who are measuring long-term strategies on short-term results. Which then takes me to where we as a community, because we are not um, without culpability in the difficulty. I agree.
1: That's why I was going to go here next, which is you get people that come in and they fire the agency right away. And what what that basically tells the company is I'm going to solve your problem with creative when that may not be the
0: problem at all. Uh, that may not be the problem at all the and and by the way it takes a good client to make a great agency you don't even have to be a great client but you got to be a good client so where is again where is rec- culpability responsibility accountability and and we have allowed ourselves we have allowed brand and performance to be bifurcated as if they're two entirely separate things as if they're binary we have allowed ourselves um to to Um, use attribution metrics that we know more often than not are bullshit because they don't- like like last click as everything, yeah. Exactly. The last click was influenced by who knows what, oftentimes, right? The collapse of the funnel is real. Um, We were talking about my shirt, right? What I'm wearing, which is never heard of the brand before, saw the shirt, saw the product in my Insta feed, bought it. Awareness led to purchase in a moment. But fashion kind of lives, or if I can call this fashion. Um, oh, I'm going to go with <laughs> that. We're not measuring what matters. And in a world of change, to stop my rant, we're kind of losing sight of what endures. Um, and, and and we're not fo- focused on the fact that while so much has changed, the architecture of people's brains hasn't. We're still primed to survive and thrive. We still want to belong, understand, connect, share values, um, we make emotional decisions and then rationalize them intellectually, right? Um, and right. we've lost sight of a lot of these things. Well, how do? World. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to
1: drill down on this a little more. Also, um, very few boards have marketers on them as well. So, yeah. the marketer is basically each time wherever they go, if it's not a consumer goods company in particular, convincing everybody about the long and the short term when they're usually under enormous short-term pressure. You've equated the marketer a lot to an entrepreneur. Tell us tell us more about that, because it, part of this discussion is leading me to think, all right, you know, your view might be when you come in, you're actually the entrepreneur, growth entrepreneur in the company, if the company will let you, and if you are good enough to entrepreneurialize the work. So-
0: I, I think it's less that actually, do you, do you mind? There's one thing I didn't say that I think is super no, please. the last question. Marketing has become so decentralized, which is to say, right? There was a time in our careers past Mike, when, when the CMO was the controlled, Ivory Tower controlled the brand, the message. The reputation the image the impact that doesn't exist anymore anyone controls with you know with their iphone with a keyboard can control the destiny of a brand for good or ill in a moment they can change the destiny or brand in a moment what the ceo says or doesn't do where they spend lobbying dollars what the customer service representative does or doesn't do and yet the cmo still maintains accountability for so many things they don't control but back to your, your, your more recent question, I, it's not so much that that I equate the CMO with an entrepreneur per se, but that I think that entrepreneurial CMOs have a greater uh, opportunity to succeed in today's world, which, by which I mean that unless and until we embrace the absence of certainty, unless and until we embrace and learn from smart failures, we will not grow. Right? Because there is no certainty in marketing today. There, by the way, there never has been. There's just there never one. has been, sadly. Yes. Yeah, there never has been. And so we have to cultivate and create a permission to fail. Because if we learn from the failure, we can optimize the next thing. We can invest better moving forward. We can dial things up. We can dial things down. But if unless we take an entrepreneur's Um, or entrepreneurial kind of attitude towards learning and pivoting and growing and optimizing, I I think we're screwed. So a couple of questions is I'm going to lay them all out and then you could take them.
1: One is, all right, I I agree with everything you just said is you have to create a vision of how the consumer and the marketplace are going to go and you have to make this work. But one, are marketers being trained to do this anymore? Two do very many CEOs and boards actually buy into that theory or do you have to sell the concept as well? And then three, an awful lot of companies put the marketer, I'm just going to say this, at the little kids table for the, the holiday, but then they're still responsible kind of for the outcome. And then we can also talk about why marketers actually sometimes put themselves at the little kids table on their own. Just talk about how how do you see that? And then, if you are looking at that as a CMO or a wannabe CMO,
0: how do you play through it? That's like so, two questions all in one. Yeah, no, but but they but they kind of connect and roll up. So, you know, I gave a I gave some remarks at last year's Forbes CMO Summit um, that that were titled "Marketing Needs Much Better Marketing." And I was speaking about internal marketing and external marketing. The quality of our work as a global community, it's not good. Right, like you know, a lot of data to prove it's not good, um, but we're also doing a particularly poor job internally. Now, if I hold many, I hold every marketer. We should hold each of us to to a measure of accountability, which is say, what is the job? The job is to drive growth. Period. The end. Sustainable, profitable growth. It may not happen today, but it better happen tomorrow or next week or on some plan. You asked if, and I don't think actually let me say it differently too few CMOs seem to understand that and I agree with too within those who understand which blows my mind and too few amongst those even who understand it seem to act as if they you need to come to the table as a business executive first who has an expertise in marketing not a marketing expert I, I i was um i was speaking to a cmo who told me that you know she went to her cfo and said i think we need to spend less in marketing next year i freaking love that you know we've we've used the uh the uncertainty the economic climate over the last couple of years and fears of recession to say oh you know i got to figure out how to do more with less no you should have always been thinking about how to do
1: more oh, with less, right you're Your job isn't to get the most money. Your job is to make
0: the company win the most. Exactly. And I think that that is then what feeds into the fact that too few CMOs have seats at the board table, that too many have seats at the little kids table, and when I say too many, there are plenty that deserve to be at the little kids table. I it agree. Or, or they're optimizing
1: kids. performance marketing. Right. Perfect. Well, I don't.
0: I'm. I'm not a fan of performance marketing. I'm a fan of performance, right? Which is, yeah, I actually, exactly. let me say that differently. Like all marketing is performance marketing. All marketing is designed to perform, and if it isn't, you're just burning money. Um, and and so. We have to take responsibility. It goes back to your first question about, you know, uh, uh, the the fuckery surrounding the CMO narrative. We are letting others drive the narrative. We are letting others define the role. If you're a marketer worth your salt, um, you should be defining the role. And if you're a marketer worth your salt, and there are many, um, you'll have your seat at the table.
1: So give us some tips. Give our listeners some tips on how they should do that, particularly if they find themselves either interviewing for a job where they can see it's a little kid's table, like how should they manage that interview? Or if they look
0: around and they say, I am at the little kid's table. Um, Well, first of all, you know, physician heal thyself. So make sure you're doing the job of driving growth and, or learning from why growth didn't happen with dollar one. And, and, you know, that's the thing, like we've become so, we're measuring everything except, oftentimes, the things that matter most. Of the things we can't measure, right? Like, how do you measure loyalty beyond the transactional? Awesome. We were talking. We were talking before um, before we started recording about great work that gives people the feels. I want to feel something about every almost every product I buy. I do want to feel something about every single brand I buy. Um, and sometimes we buy for product right? pure efficacy, but sometimes most of the time, I think we're buying for brand. I think if if you know the fundamental question any CMO or CMO candidate has to ask as they're looking at the new a, a new opportunity is, can I succeed here? right? Can I succeed? Um, And that ensures that you've got alignment with your CEO and CFO on role, responsibility, authority, accountability, and influence. Um, What is the culture of marketing investment? What is the attitudes towards marketing? Is it an investment or is it an expense? What's the corporate culture towards creativity, risk tolerance? And I'm I'm talking about the biggest companies in the world and the startup. No, I agree
1: with this. If you can't, you have to interview not for the job, but also for: Are they going to let you
0: actually drive growth, or just demand it? And, that, uh, and by the how, way, I really like uh, I like the way you said it. Are they going to let you do it, or just demand it? And when there is, you know, uh, when there isn't clarity about responsibility and authority, who can succeed? And I say that as somebody who has been in that position, who had a job, um, and I came to do one thing, and they didn't let me. Would I have succeeded? I don't know. Um, but I knew I couldn't do the job they hired me to do. I was a terrible interviewee because yeah. all I wanted them to do was buy me. I forgot that I needed to buy them.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. So hey, let, let's bounce around a little bit because there is, I, I I think there's a lot of great advice for marketers in, in all the stuff you've just said. But a lot of times marketers are out there and they run into what I'll just call believers or non-believers. There's all these non-believers maybe on your board, maybe your CEO, CFO, or non-believers in marketing in general, and they're going to run this like they might run a supply chain efficiency story or real estate. How do you manage that as a marketer or an agency when you are faced with non-believers who start with the idea that you should zero-based marketing?
0: You know, I get asked this question a lot, and and. I don't know if my answer is a good one, but my observation is that these same people are, are who are saying that, who are non-believers to use your language, excuse me, they're denying their own lived experience, right? They're denying their own attitudes and behaviors. And so, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the watch they're wearing, the clothes they're wearing, the neighborhoods they live in, the vacations they choose, the cars they drive, the things- oh. in- Entry. It's, I totally it's agree like, with this.
1: One of my things is so uh, you think consumers are so efficient. So I'm sure you're driving a Honda Civic because that would be the most efficient car. And I'm sure you're drinking like generic average soda. beer, average beer, <laughs> average, you know, you're drinking yeah. stuff that it's, is by far the highest value stuff. You're not driving a Mercedes to work or, yeah, doing this stuff. Yeah, I,
0: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They're denying their own lived experience. I'm holding my phone, by the way. Um, not because I'm looking at my text from my daughter, um, but because Warren Buffett said something some years ago, or at least he gets credit for saying it. Um, he said, if I gave you, you know, to an Apple user, if I gave you $10,000 to never buy an or use an Apple product again, would you take it? I'm like, hell no, I would not take it, right? That's a pretty powerful brand. That's LTV. Um, that is lived experience and they're denying it. I, I agree with this. I think that's good good advice. Still,
1: the non-believers are are interesting. One of the things we've had a guest or two on the show that have talked about things like Con and said that is where marketers are are actually not doing themselves any favors by running around giving themselves awards. In fact, uh, one of our guests called it a bit sad. Um, tell us what you think about that. Does
0: that make marketing
1: marketers look self-absorbed or or what? Probably.
0: I mean, you know, it is uh, again, if we think about the brand of can, you know, uh, it's palm trees in the Mediterranean and and feels and often can be a boondoggle of sorts. Um, You know, I've I've opined. um, I've only been uh, this year will be my fourth. So I've only been three times previously. But my first observation I went in 20 um, 2019 for the first time um, was boy for a festival of creativity there isn't a lot of creativity on the croissette or anywhere else outside of the palais um and 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 it's it's a it it, to me it's a bit of a metaphor for marketing broadly where it's not that it's creativity um gone awry it's creativity gone away um more (laughs) often than not um and and it's never made it made it there never made it so right like it's it's just you've never been Oh, I, I never thought I it was, it. Like, yeah, I look, I would love it. to go, but I never thought it was worth the time, so. I, I'm, but oh. I think that then, you know, look, there's the festival, and and to the, to the credit of the Lions, if you look at the expansion of the categories that they recognize and honor over time, and it's expanded massively, they're also reflecting, both as mirror and as leader, the things that are increasingly important important to this increasingly decentralized and expanded remit of the chief marketer and of the agencies that serve her. Um, But I think, um, you know, look, there are a few moments within our global community where people come together in one place. And I think you go for the serendipity, you go for the meetings, you go to be part of a community. And I've never met in my life a more generous, kind, giving community of marketers than the CMO community in particular. I, I agree with that. And what what I will also say is, you know, I, I was privileged to be able to give some remarks last year to winners of the Future Lions, the ad schools that won um, uh, the Future Lions Awards. And one of the things I said, and I do think this is a big problem for us, is the greatest reward, recognizing we're standing at an award show, isn't the award you win, but the work that works, regardless of whether it wins an exactly. award. Exactly. And, you know, I interviewed uh, Susan Creedle for a series that we do here at Forbes, you know, the, the, the legendary creative who's now chief creative officer at FCB. And she said something to the effect of, you know, what drives a young creative's career growth isn't always the same as what drives a brand and business's growth. And we as a global community need to do a better job of bringing those things together. Because I don't care if you win an award. I care if you drove my business.
1: Yeah, your shareholders can't eat an award and, you know, it doesn't drive this stock up. Speaking of networks, you know, tell us about the Forbes CMO network and what you want to accomplish
0: there. So, you know, the the network is... um, might otherwise be called community. And and uh, um, when I came in, you know, Mike, you know, my background, or you've spoke to some of it. You know, I've spent most of the last 25 years either in or, in cert- or certainly around Hollywood. Um, and and so I look at our role at Forbes uh, and within the CMO Network specifically as being, in, by, by as metaphor, being an agent for marketers and marketing, our job is to help the CMO and everybody in her ecosystem that surrounds her internally and externally do better marketing. Um, That's our job because there's misunderstanding, misalignment, um, and it's harder than ever, ever to do good marketing, right? It's always been hard, but it's harder than it's. I agree.
1: That's why we started. That's why we started CMO Confidential. Same thing, which is, I think marketers are not getting trained as well and it's a harder
0: job and, also marketers the, used to okay. be trained by marketers. Now they're being trained by engineers, um, a broad stroke generalization. Um, but but it is to represent them, um, which is why within kind of our editorial focus, we're not particularly interested in quote unquote news stories. Forbes is very interested. Within the CMO network we're less because we, we're, we're interested in stories that have a don't have a perishable life of 48 hours, right? That, that are as relevant a year from now as they are the day they're written. Um, and that makes somebody, even in complete disagreement and people disagree with what I write and publish and post all the time, even in disagreement, we can get stronger. That's actually, we get I, stronger. I agree with that. It should be a lot of evergreen stories of marketing,
1: not it's, yeah. Uh, and also telling people how to do CAC better is not gonna make for great growth. Hey, I, I would be super negligent if I didn't ask about Lessons Learned at CAA and also about the Scratch and Sniff book. <laughs> two, two things that are unrelated.
0: Totally unrelated, um, but super interesting. So, you know, I, I started um, CA marketing in May of 2000. Um, and, and I'd never been, you know, I was. you mentioned I was president of Rock the Vote, but I'd never worked inside a Hollywood company before Rock the Vote was a nonprofit. Um, I learned a lot, a lot. I mean, in fact, everything I just said about the role of the Forbes CMO network comes from having been surrounded by and working closely with, also at Endeavor, some of the best agents in the world. And watching the best agents in the world do what they do. I learned that representation is is like a hyper-focus. Representation is sometimes telling your client, oftentimes telling your client what they don't, good representation, what they don't want to hear, pushing them to do what they don't want to do, because you believe as their representative that it is best for them, It it requires conviction. I learned that taste matters so much. I remember asking our general counsel at CAA, I'd been there a month or two, um, why a particular lead agent who's still there was so good and so well-regarded. And he looks at me and he's like, she's got great taste. And taste matters. Um, But I think that that if uh, I I would get, kind of leave you with three things high tolerance for ambiguity i asked i asked that i did the deal while while i reported to to the then board i did the deal with with our general counsel an absolute legend named michael Rubel. i was like okay we're we're done what's it going to take to succeed here which by the way i probably should have asked before we were done but (laughs) (laughs) um i'll never forget what he said said those who succeeded here have a high tolerance for ambiguity. I have never, high tolerance for ambiguity. That's what everybody needs today, marketers in particular, and I've never hired anyone since who doesn't have a high tolerance for ambiguity, regardless of what I'm hiring them for. Um, There's a brilliant, he's he's now one of the, the few folks who really runs the agency, uh, Kevin Huvane, one of the greatest agents in Hollywood's history, a brilliant executive, he said to me, shortly before I left, we were closing a, a, a deal and it was like, it was getting a little squishy. He's like, there's a point where somebody has to step up and close the deal. And it's always important, you know, deal, both literally and metaphorically, it's always important to keep that in mind. And then, you know, the last thing is, is service is everything. I don't care, you know what you're selling. Client side, service side, again B two B, D two C. You're in the service business. We're all in the quality of life business. We're all in the business. Motor oil is in the business of making my life easier. We're wow, all in the you. business of adding to somebody's quality of life. And CA taught me that. Nice. but well, you know, we're running out, out of
1: time, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you to come back on the show later this year, and then we'll oh. talk about the book. But. So last question. but you can buy it now on Amazon, the Scratch and Sniff Book of Weed. <laughs> All right. Funniest story you can tell on the air and/or practical advice to our audience that we haven't talked about yet. You can
0: take both or one, but you have to pick at least one. Yeah. Uh you were kind enough to give me a heads up on this question and and i was thinking about the funny stories and i realized they're probably only funny to me so so i'm going to tell a story um, that i think will be um familiar to far too many of your listeners um and i'll position it as advice and let me start with the punchline you're not the target um and and too often going back to so much of what we've talked about the people who evaluate marketing evaluated as if they were the target when it was never built for them to begin with. So this is um, quite a few years ago. Um, and we had we were at CAA. I think I was probably working with you when you were at eBay at the time. But we had a, another client. Um, we happened to be in Hong Kong at this moment. It was shortly after 9-11. We were doing a meeting with their, I was agency side, client side was the global CMO of a, company, a massive consumer brand. We were going around the world meeting with their marketing leadership. Um, he leaves this one meeting, um, comes back in about 10 minutes later and like, you could just tell whatever he left for didn't go well. So I said to him, uh, what happened? And he said, he had just gotten off the call, uh, off the phone with a um, member of his board who was a uh, octogenarian at the time um, who insisted that they take a commercial off the air because the commercial um, starred a very famous musician at the time and still um, because her belly button was showing. Um, This is a a youth focused brand. um, And the octogenarian is like, I don't wanna see her belly button. He wasn't the target. And right. so millions and millions of dollars in creative and agency time and client time in media, which just tanked, right? We all know the story of the idea that got killed because the CEO's 12 year old didn't like it, didn't get it, hadn't, you're not the target. I was sitting with the CMO recently um, and I was like, I know I'm not the target of your creative, but I don't get it, tell me what the brief is. Shared the brief, I still didn't quite get it, but then shared the metrics, I was so not the target because the metrics are insanely positive. What they measured matter mattered, and what they saw was spectacular. And it's a good lesson. We're not the target.
1: I think that is a great way to end the show. So, Seth, thank you for being. Thanks on for the- having me, man. You're more than welcome. We'll have you back towards the end of the year to talk about all the stuff that's going to go on in twenty four. Thanks everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include an operations-trained CEO dishes on what he really thinks about marketing. A B-School professor discusses brands taking a socio-political stand Hint, it's probably not a great idea. And what your agency wants to tell you, but won't. Parts one, two, three, and four. And also, if you like the show, please subscribe. And the upcoming show, marketing the battle between believers and non-believers um hey all you marketers stay safe out there this is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential